Somebody asked me uh, before, uh, after the service last week, were there any, anything that we could read alongside the sermon series that might be useful? Um, Pete recommends this one all the time, Tim Chester's Enjoying God. I think it was in the email this week, Pete. Not an accident, I suspect. Uh, that's obviously where I stole the uh, title for the series. Um, Tim Chester, though, he actually stole all his ideas from a guy named John Owen, who wrote a book called Communing, Communing with the Trinity. I, my advice, though, would be start here and then go to John Owen. It's a bit, uh, bit less dense. What's great about this book is just how practically Tim Chester takes the, the truths we know about God and applies them into a kind of our everyday lives as believers. Um, another book, I talked about this last week, Delighting in the Trinity by a guy named Michael Reeves. This book um, I read four or five years ago now. It's one of my favorite Christian books. Uh, and I love it because it's simple, but it just profoundly helps us understand who God is as Father, Son, Spirit. So if you want to think about the Trinity a bit more, delighting in the Trinity. And then this, finally, a book uh, called Truth on Fire. You probably can't quite see that there because it's uh, a bit dark. Uh, by Adam Ramsey, who's a Gold Coast local, actually. He wrote this book last year. He's a pastor of a church called Liberty Church on the Gold Coast. Um, the subtitle there is Gazing at God Until Your Heart Sings. And he reflects on the character of God, the nature of God, and helps us yet to do what we're doing in this series, enjoy him. Uh, So three books there, I commend them all highly to you. Now I've got to work out where to put them. That'll do. All right. Uh, And as Pete said, um, it's an interesting place where we're starting today, isn't it? We normally Father, Son, Spirit. You read all those books, they go Father, Son, Spirit. But I've gone for for the Son first, which, uh, uh, why have I done that? Uh, Well, the reason is really simply, we heard last week, if you were here as we began this series on enjoying God, that God the Father wants us to delight in Him as His children. Uh, And He's adopted us by his spirit into his family. But the way into the family, as Pete just alluded to, is actually by the son. As with the father, we delight in what he's done for us in his son. So I thought, let's start with, let's start with the son. Um, but we could have started with the father. We could have even started with the spirit. That would have been really radical, wouldn't it? Uh, but let me pray for us, and then we'll get into this, into this topic together. Heavenly Father, we do, yeah, we do thank you that we can know you by your son. And we do pray uh, that your spirit would be at work in, among us now as we, as we reflect on him. Help us to hear your word on who he is and what he's done for us. Uh, I pray that I would speak clearly and faithfully this morning. And I pray that together we would rejoice in the goodness of knowing your son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of my favorite moments, I think, in Jesus' life... Uh, is right at the beginning. Uh, you might know the story where, where uh, Joseph and Mary, about 40 days into Jesus' of life, into Jesus's life, they have to take Jesus to the temple for the rites of purification, as the Jews used to call it. Um, so they, they trekked down to Jerusalem and they took Jesus to the temple. And, and, and yeah, that's a pretty boring kind of moment to really love. But what I love about this moment is that when Jesus and Joseph and Mary arrive at the temple... They, they met with these two people who have these two incredible responses um, to Jesus. First up is a, is a man named Simeon. Uh, you get the sense he's an older man, though we're not, we're not quite told how old he is. But he's been promised by God that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And uh, in, in come uh, Mary and Joseph and, and the little baby, you know, 40-day-year-old Jesus. They come in and um, Simeon, moved by God's Spirit recognizes who this baby is 
And he just gets so excited. It's, re- it's, re- it's really cool. He, he actually runs up. And this, I've noticed this happens at church when people uh, bring a new baby to church quite often. He just runs up and he grabs Jesus from out of the arms of his parents. And um, I'm imagining, I don't know if you've seen The Lion King, I'm imagining he lifts him up over his head and he's, he starts praising God. And, and, he's, and he says, now I can die. And I love what, what, how he puts this, for my eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. It's just a really beautiful moment. The excitement of this man who's been promised by God he's going to not die until he sees the Messiah. And in comes this little baby and he goes, that's him. And he rejoices. Uh, it gets better though because next up is a lady named Anna. Uh, and Anna, she's probably even older than Simeon, at least 84 years old. And she's a widow and a prophetess. And she spends her days at the temple Uh, prophesying and praying and fasting. But when she sees Simeon and gets a wind of what's going on with this baby, she gets even more excited. And she rushes over and she starts praising God. You Imagine an 84-year-old woman running around, praising God and telling everyone who would listen who this baby is. This is wonderful. Now, my hope for us um, this morning as we, we come and go into our second installment of this series, Enjoying God, and we think about enjoying God the Son, is that we would have a Simeon and Anna moment. That we would recognize who Jesus is and we'd be swept up to delight in him. That we would see the wonder of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for him, And we would delight and rejoice in him as they did that day. Now to help us do that, we're going to spend our time in the passage we just heard read, Colossians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul uh, reflects on who Jesus is. It's a wonderful passage, you're probably quite familiar uh, with it. And he lays out who Jesus is in, in creation and also who Jesus is in salvation. So do have Colossians 1 there in front of you. We'll be, we'll be staying there for, for all of our time today. Uh, so you can just open it up, Colossians 1, 15 to 23, uh, and we'll work through the passage together. In the, in the first half there, Paul tells us about Jesus' place in the creation, the Son's place in the creation. Have another look what he says. Verse 15, he, he writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Isn't that a breathtaking description of Jesus? It's pretty amazing. Um, And importantly, it's not just a random collection of thoughts that Paul had. Oh, here's some great things about Jesus. No, they're all carefully chosen to show Jesus' place within the creation, within this world that we live in, this universe that we live in. Um, In in verse 15, if you just look at verse 15, he he says two things. Um, First, he talks about Jesus as the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Now, the the image of God is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible, doesn't it? Um, It's right there in the very first chapter of the Bible, um, in Genesis chapter 1, when when God creates creates, uh, man and woman, and and he says this in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, 
according to our likeness. The idea is that God makes the world, he puts everything in it, then he makes humanity, puts humanity in it, and their job is to be image bearers of him in this world, to reflect his glory within this creation he's made. That's what it is to image God, to represent him and reflect him. And here Jesus is described in this way, isn't he? But notice, there's one really significant difference, isn't it? It's only little, but it's significant. Because Jesus is not just made in God's image, is he? No, he is the image. He is the image of the invisible God. He doesn't just represent God or reflect God's glory. No, he is God's glory. When you see Jesus, you see God. When Simeon and Anna were at the temple that morning and saw that little baby, they were dealing with God himself, weren't they? That's who Jesus was. Um, But the other thing there, if you have a look at verse 15, that that tells us about Jesus' place within creation, is he's the firstborn. Now, this idea is a bit controversial. Um, I assume most of us have had a Jehovah's Witness knock on our door. Most of us have. Now, if you talk to a Jehovah's Witness about what this verse is talking about, they will tell you um, that what it means is that Jesus, God's son, was the first thing that God created. There was, in the beginning was God, and then God created Jesus. He was the firstborn in that sense. And actually, that didn't, he's kind of, so he wasn't fully God. He was sort of a sub-God, a demigod. Different to us, but sort of in between God. And, and that idea, it didn't start with the Jehovah's Witnesses either. Um, it actually goes back all the way in church history into the 4th century and a guy named uh, Arius, um, who on, on the basis of verses like these ones, claimed that Jesus was not really God because he was a son that was born. He's, listen to what he said. This is um, pretty old language, but he said, if the father begat, so kind of gave birth, that, that sort of idea, begat the son, he that was begotten had a beginning of existence. And from this, it is evident that there was a time when the Son was not. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the son, there was a time when Jesus did not exist. The Father was there, but then he created Jesus. It's totally false. That's not what this verse is saying. Um, well, the, the problem with those understandings is that they've misunderstood the word firstborn and what that's talking about. When we, when we read that idea here, the idea is less about chronology and more about authority. It's more about Jesus' place within the creation rather than when, the time, the timeline when he was created. Um, it's, you think about a king, who, uh, the king and their children. The firstborn of a king is the one who inherits the throne. In Jewish culture, the firstborn of the family was the one who had the greatest share of the inheritance. And it's the same here with Jesus. When it calls Jesus the firstborn here, it's not so much a statement of when he was created, but a statement of his place and his authority in the creation. And, and that's confirmed, isn't it, in the next, couple of, in, in the next uh, half of the verse, where it says the son is the firstborn over all the creation. He's the head of it, the one who rules it, the one whom it belongs to. Now, if you look there at verses 16 and 17, Paul explains why Jesus has this place. Why he has this place of authority. And there's three little words that are key to understanding 
why he has this place. Now, a bit of interaction here. I know that we've all got masks on. Anybody reckon they can spot in verse 16 the three key little words that help us understand why Jesus has this authority? Just yell them out if you think you can spot them. It's hard with the masks. Oh, we've rushed ahead. <laughs> Thanks, but okay. Spoiler alert. Yeah, four. Uh, the, the words there are for, through, and by. Why is Jesus firstborn over all creation? Um, just go back to the slide before, it's for, for later on, yeah. No, keep, get out of that altogether, yeah. Great. Um, why is Jesus the firstborn over all creation? Well, because by him, God created the world. And through him, and not just by him and through him, the creation was made for him. He is both the agent of the creation and the goal of the creation. Why did God make this world? Well, he made it for Jesus. He made it for his son. Every drop in the sea, by, through, and for Jesus. Every hair on your head. I know a few of us have a few less hairs than we used to, but still, by, through, and for Jesus. Every grain of sand in the desert, by, through, and for Jesus. Every star in the sky, every ray of light from the sun, every cell in your body, every neutron, every electron, every proton, you name it, it was created by, through, and for Jesus. And and not just the physical world, as we're told there, no, the spiritual world too, every throne, Every ruler, every authority was created by, through, and for the Son. He was the agent of it. He was the goal of it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? And it's because of that that he's the head, the firstborn over it. Um, I was talking to a friend, and uh, he was telling me about his daughter. His daughter's about one, one or two, and she's just discovered the moon. You know, the moon, have you ever just looked at the moon? It's just amazing, isn't it? Um, and he was just saying, she just gets so excited about the moon. Oh, the moon, daddy, the moon. And, um, and he said it's actually helped him to stop and just look at the moon and go, wow, that's pretty good. Um, I was actually out, out, out the other night and the moon was really bright. And I was thinking about it too. The moon is incredible. How distant it is. How vast the skies around it are. How barren. Yet beautiful at the same time it is um for me though when i look at the moon it's not just the moon itself that gets me excited or interested it's the fact that somehow as human beings we worked out a way to get to the moon it's a long time ago 60 years ago or something 50 years ago now that we did that but still isn't that amazing oh that human beings could do that the ingenuity that was required that the maths and the physics that went into it the technology that was developed, even the human skill and courage to fly there. It's amazing. Here's the thing. Jesus, God's son, created the moon. Jesus, God's son, created the human beings who worked out how to get to the moon. Not only did he create these things, these things were created for him. I said last week, I'm going to give you some homework every week. Here's the homework for this, part one. There'll be part two in a bit. 
part one of the homework uh, for this week, if you should choose to accept it, is I just want you to take 10 minutes just to stop and sit in awe at something that God has created through his son. Just find 10 minutes to do that. It's hard at the moment with all the, you know, if you get locked inside with COVID or something, that might be difficult, but that's all right. Uh, Maybe you just want to sit outside and look at the moon. Uh, Maybe it's finding a, you know, a, a quiet spot on a beach or a hill and staring out at the ocean. Maybe it's watching a David Attenborough documentary and just getting excited about the things God's made. Maybe it's a bushwalk out in the hinterland. Or maybe it's sitting at, I don't know, Australia Fair or Pacific Fair and just watching the diversity of people that God's made walk by. Maybe it's visiting an art gallery and looking at the human creativity that's gone into the, the things that have been painted and drawn and sculpted. doesn't matter what it is, just take some time with no other agenda but just to sit in awe at this world, at this creation. But here's the critical part of it. Don't just be at awe, in awe at the creation. Be in awe of the one who made those things. Enjoy him. Delight in him. Be amazed by him. Enjoy his power. Enjoy his creativity. Enjoy his majesty. Okay, back, back to Colossians 1, though. Um, because this first part is really just, it's actually just a warm-up. It's just a warm-up for our delight in God's Son. Uh, the second half is where it gets really exciting. As we move from Jesus' place in the creation to his place in salvation. Um, read verse, verse 18, look how Paul continues to speak about God's Son. It says, He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now I want you to notice here some parallels between these verses and what's just been said about Jesus and the creation. It's really interesting when you, when you take some time to, just to, to, to pay attention to these. There's, there's at least three parallels, I think, between these verses and the ones that have just gone before. Um, first, and we'll get these up now. First is um, the, the phrase, uh, both begin with the phrase, He is. Uh, it's hidden a little bit in our translation. But verse 15, uh, it's literally, he is. It doesn't have the son. The NIV translators have just put that in just to help us know who Paul's talking about. But it's, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of overall creation. But then if you have a look at verse 18, again, it's, it's that same phrase. He is the head of the body, the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. That's, a, that's the first parallel between the two. They both got this kind of this this kind of title sense. The second, though, is in both we get this idea of firstborn, don't you? So in the first bit, we've got he's the firstborn over all creation. But here in verse eighteen, we're told that the son is the firstborn born from among the dead, which is a strange kind of phrase. Sounds like a zombie movie or something like that. What's this talking about? Uh, that Jesus is the firstborn uh, from among the dead. It's just talking about the dead who will be raised when Jesus returns. It's talking about the people in his kingdom. 
Just as Jesus was the firstborn over this creation that we live in now, the head of that, so too he is the firstborn over the creation to come, the new creation, his kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. So that's the second parallel. The third parallel, and this is the key one, is why Jesus is given these titles. And again, it's the words, it's the word for. So in verse 16, we're told he's the firstborn of the creation uh, because he's the one who made it for all things were made by through uh, through and for him. But it's the same here. Have a look at verse 19. Why is Jesus the firstborn from among the dead? Well, verse 19, for, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things on heaven, in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the head of the creation because he made it. He's the head of the new creation because he saved it. He entered into this world as one of us. This world that had turned its back on him. And he died on a cross that we might be restored back to relationship with our maker. Isn't that amazing? Um, I actually did this series at, um, at Griffith Uni with GCS last year. And I was talking, reflecting with one of the students about these verses. And he was just saying, it's just ridiculous what these verses are saying. And he was, he was right. Absolutely. It's, when, you, when, you, when you, step, you know, step back and think about what Paul is saying about Jesus and what he's done, it's ridiculous. It's, it's unthinkable. You know, just think about, about it for a moment. You know, that little baby that Mary and Joseph brought to the temple that Simeon grabbed up in his arms, in that baby, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Try and get your head around that. Well, think about as he grew up, as Jesus grew up. You know, and his dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. So he taught him some stuff, I'm sure, about building things. Here's how you make something out of wood, Jesus. This little boy is the one who made the wood to begin with. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And as Jesus went on in his life, in his ministry, and he, he called people and they, he taught people, He had disciples, he taught them, he ate with them, he called them his friends. These people were the ones who he'd numbered every hair on their head. And then it's this same son, this same Jesus, who then is rejected by his people. Accused of doing something that he hadn't actually really done. Sentenced to death. Nailed to a wooden cross and shed his blood for the people who were rejecting him. That we might have peace with our maker. Isn't that just ridiculous? That's what Paul's saying here. You think Jesus creating the moon is good? This is next level. The God of the universe, the one who made it, the one for whom it was made, entered into it. And was killed by it to restore his relationship with it. That ultimately we might be welcomed into the family as his sons and daughters. That's something to enjoy, isn't it? That's someone to enjoy. 
Uh, the, the, the final few verses there land it personally for us, where Paul writes to the Colossians and, and to us, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, all of us rejected God. But what has Jesus done for all of us who turn to him in faith? Well, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus has done for you. The one for and through whom all things were made entered into this world that you might call God your friend, that he might call you his son and his daughter, one without blemish, one holy in his sight. Here's part two of the homework for enjoying God this week. Um, Next to enjoying what Jesus has done as the creator of the world, I want you to have a go at enjoying him as your saviour. And we do this all the time. We've done it already as we've sung songs today. We've done it as we've prayed. Um, and, and, and there's lots of ways that we can enjoy the forgiveness and the peace and salvation that Jesus has won for us, isn't there? I want to suggest one really simple thing to have a go at doing this week. Uh, and that is the really simple age-old art of confession. Of taking some time, maybe you do it at the same time as you stare out over the ocean. But having seen the awe of the world that Jesus has made, take some time to actually confess personally how you've turned away from him. Your evil behavior and hostility of mine. But don't stop with just confessing those things. No, confess them with what he's done for you in view. Confess them and take hold of and embrace the reconciliation, the forgiveness, the cleansing that his blood shed for you actually wins. Um, This is something worth doing regularly. (laughs) But if it's not something you're in the habit of doing, why not make this the week that you have a go at doing that? Enjoy the forgiveness that Jesus died to bring you. You might want to find a quiet room and just pray. You might want to kneel before God. You might want to write it down. You might want to do it sitting over the ocean. You might want to use one of the prayers from the Bible. Psalm 51 is a great prayer of confession where King David prays. There's no right or wrong ways. The goal is to confess how you personally have turned away from God and enjoy his forgiveness and his reconciliation. Friends, when... Simeon and Anna spotted Jesus at the temple. Their hearts leapt with joy, didn't they? They rejoiced. They celebrated. The reason why why was because they understood who this little baby was. Today we've had a taste of that, haven't we? We've seen who Jesus is. The firstborn over the creation. Who made it and for whom it was made but also the firstborn over the new creation who entered into this world to die to reconcile us back to God.
Let's enjoy him. Let's rejoice in him. Let's be people who, like Simeon and Anna, see Jesus for who he truly is and delight. Shall we pray and do that now? Please join me. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice. We rejoice in your Son. Thank you that it was through him that you made us and you made this wonderful world that we live in and enjoy. Father, help us to enjoy that with him in mind. Rejoicing in him. He is the one through whom you made this world. But more than that, Father, help us to rejoice in the reconciliation he's, he's brought. How he's restored us back into relationship with you through his blood shed on the cross. Help us to be a people for whom that's, that, that's not a distant reality, that's not a distant thought. But that's something that is present and captures our every day. Something that we trust and we delight in. And we pray all these things that you might be glorified through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.